What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. You are Locked On Packers, your daily podcast on the Green Bay Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are Locked On Packers. Hello, this is Bill Huber, the publisher of PackerReport.com, part of the Scout.com and CBS Sports.com networks. After taking a break yesterday to talk about Sam Shields, we return to our position-by-position review of the Packers season with the outside linebackers, and the outside linebackers are by far the biggest disappointment on last year's team. But before I get rolling into that, the usual reminder to please check out the rest of the fantastic Locked On Podcast Network, which includes Locked On NFL, Locked On NFL Draft, and Locked On Fantasy. As I mentioned yesterday, there's a new host at Locked On NFL Draft, John Ludger, who does a really, really good job. I've been impressed with his work over the last year or so. So I highly encourage you to check that out as we move into draft season. And please, head on over to PackerReport.com. I've got my own uh, position-by-position reviews over there where I grade players on a salary cap curve, and the outside linebackers are getting a very harsh grade. If you want to check that stuff out, and I'm in the middle. I shouldn't say the middle. I'm at the very start of my scouting combine research series, so content is going to be pretty sparse over at Packer Report for the next week or so until the NFL announces who's all going to the combine, and then I can roll that stuff out. What I do, and I've done it for this will be maybe the fifth or sixth year I've done this, I don't know anything about these players. Absolutely nothing. So I start my digging, and there's, you know, there'll be some statistical stuff, you know, award winners, you know, guys who set records, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But then personal stuff. I, I spend 15, 20 minutes on every player trying to find something, anything that's interesting about them. Um... You know, you, you can get scouting reports from any place, and I, I will certainly have scouting reports for a Packer report as well. But the personal stuff interests me, and, you know, I'll go to the scouting combine, and I'll be armed with, the, you know, storylines and kind of their, their life story, and I can actually ask some intelligent questions of the players, and then I will tell you about Joe Blow and why he's a great fit for the Packers. But here's also some other stuff about him, so I, I think it's a lot more of an interesting way to go about the draft than just telling you, you know, so-and-so is super fast and, and jumps far and is really good at press coverage. So that's kind of how I attack the NFL draft. And with that, let's get into it. The outside linebackers, and it was bad news. Outside linebacker is the lifeblood of a 3-4 scheme. They have to set the edge against the run. They have to rush the passer. They have to get sacks. You know, sometimes they have to drop in the coverage. I mean, look at all the things that Clay Matthews did, especially early in his year when he was a, early in his year, early in his career when he was a Pro Bowl player. Here's the problem, though. What did Clay Matthews do this year? And what's worse, and I get into this in my 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 player grades. Clay Matthews was the highest paid edge player in the NFL last year, and I'm talking. By edge player, I mean 3-4 outside linebacker, 
4-3 defensive end, which sort of similar positions, but anyway, you're you know it's the it's the edge position. Based on salary cap money, Matthews cap it was thirteen point seven five million dollars. That was the most expensive edge player in the NFL. And what did the Packers get from it? Well, let's see. There was uh, performance-enhancing drug allegations to start with. The, the NFL um, dismissed those. Then there's hamstring injury, and then there's the shoulder injury. And at the end of the day, Matthews played 12 games. 24 tackles, 5 sacks. His previous worst season for tackles? 50. And that came in 2013 when he played in 11 games with that twice-broken thumb. So let's do this one more time, just to reiterate what I just said. In 12 games in 2016, Clay Matthews, 24 tackles, 5 sacks. His previous worst season came in 11 games in 2013 when he had 50 tackles and 6 sacks. So his tackle count this year basically was one half of his previous worst year. Digest that for a minute. Matthews, one tackle for every 19.83 snaps, worse than the unit. Two and a half stuffs, which, as I mentioned before, stuffs are a tackle at or behind the line of scrimmage against the run. That's also the worst of his career. He had five and a half in each of his each of the past two seasons. So it's basically a cut in half. Um, pro football focuses run stop percentage, which uh, I will spare you the definition of it. Well, actually, I won't spare you the definition. It is basically mirrors Green Bay's win-loss grade. It is a first and 10 play that holds it to three yards or less. A second down play that holds that play to um, one um, one half of the remaining yardage. Then any third down tackle that stops the pl- that prevents the first down. So Matthews' run stop percentage ranked forty first out of fifty. Or excuse me, ranked fifty first out of fifty seven outside linebackers in the three four scheme. Fifty one out of fifty seven among players who played one hundred and four run snaps. So that's uh, that's not good. That's uh, basically everything that I've told you is worse than anything that he's ever done. Sacks can be overblown, right? I mean, so let's go to hurries. Last year, while playing inside linebacker for the first two downs, Matthews had six and a half sacks and twenty and a half hurries. This year, five sacks and fourteen and a half hurries. So again, he's down six hurries. I'm not debating that Clay Matthews' contract wasn't a good one, because it was, because he was a great player. Was. Is he anymore? Or, as we've talked about, you know, with guys like Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins, and like we talked about Devontae Adams last year, was he just hurt? Of course, in the Matthews case, none of these 31 is, quote, just hurt. Essentially, quote, just him now. I don't know. Um... He didn't miss a single game in 2014 and 2015, so I'm, I'm not ready to say, well, as so many of you have, that Clay Matthews is just injury-prone and that he's, quote, always hurt. 
because that is not true. He played all 32 games the past two seasons, or the previous two seasons. This year he did not. So is that why his level of play stunk? You know, Clay, uh, Bob McGinnon, his player grades referenced the, the double team counts, and I, I, I should have brought him down here with me for the podcast, but, you know, he, he was double teamed something like 35% of the time in previous years and only 22% this year or something. So, you know, he, he became so unproductive that teams even stopped double teaming him and it didn't really matter. Now, he had some games. He was really the only guy who had any, any pressure at all against Matt Ryan in the championship game. He had, he had three quarterback hits. I think Green Bay had six as a team. He had three. Um, there was the sack strip against the Giants where basically Matthews was the only guy who played the play after he knocked the ball out. Um, there was a sack strip on uh, Sam Bradford against the Vikings in Week 16. So there were plays that he made. Just not enough of them when you are the highest paid um, based on salary cap dollars. The highest paid player this season. His production... Not nearly good enough, and a big reason why Green Bay's defense was not good enough either. Julius Peppers. Kind of the same story. His cap charge was $10.5 million, and that ranked sixth among edge defenders. Now, again, I am not, like with Matthews, I'm not going to sit here and question this contract. Because... Peppers was unbelievable in 2014 and helped the Packers get to the championship game. And that year, he had, not only had he had the sacks and stuff, but he had, you know, the forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, interceptions. He, he, I think he had eight turnover plays in the regular season. That trade only J.J. Watt. Then he added in the playoffs. They ended up leading the NFL in turnover plays. So he was great. I mean, the sack numbers were, were, ended up being pretty good all three years. This is, this you know, going a little off on a tangent here. This contract is why Ted Thompson stays away from free agency, though. Because in 2016, Pepper's kit number is $10.5 million. And, you know, he was 36 last year. You knew damn well, I'm sure Thompson knew damn well, too, that he's not going to be worth, he's probably not going to be worth that much money. But in free agency... This is what you have to do to go sign the guy that you want. You have to overpay. And a lot of times, free agents are, are toward the end of their career. So you might be paying not only too much, but you might be paying too long to get the guy you want. But you have to to get the guy you want. Because otherwise, the other team down the road is going to do it. So to make a competitive offer, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and pay too much and pay for too long. And that was the deal with Peppers. Seven and a half sacks, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery. That was his season. Again, seven and a half sacks is nothing to sneeze at. He had 30 tackles for a tackle rate of 19.47 snaps per tackle. That's better than Matthews. I'm just saying something because you know, <laughs> they, 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 didn't pay, they didn't pay Julius Peppers to play run defense. And sure, if he had, he had just one stuff, and in PF stuff, in the aforementioned run stop percentage, he was 40th out of those 57. And his hurry count went down to 12. So, 
wasn't a bad season by by Peppers, and they, I mean they they would have been up the creek without him, with with Matthews being injured and Nick Perry playing with one hand down the stretch. They needed every bit of Peppers, and he certainly look that three year twenty six million dollar contract, twenty five sacks, ten forced fumbles, pretty good return on investment. Really wasn't half bad this year, but again, you take Matthews' cap hit. And, Pep, and Pepper's cap hit, and you just need so much more production. And this this is why when I do my grades, I do it on, on the salary cap basis. Is These high-priced players, they have to play like high-priced players. And what is Green Bay's, and why did Green Bay's defense stink this year? Clay Matthews, number one in outside line, in edge defender cap. Julius Pepper, sixth in edge, edge defender cap. Sam Shields, fifth in cornerback cap. Those are three of the highest paid defenders in the league, and what in the hell did you get from them? And so when your highly paid players don't perform to that level, this is what you get because you've, been, you've spent so much money on them, there's no money left. And everyone, everyone bags on Ted Thompson's um, use of the salary cap. He didn't... He did not spend $7 million this year. Of $160 million, can't the hell it was, of $160 million, he didn't spend $7 million of it. So he spent the money. There was no, more, there was no money left to go get other players. So that's the problem with, with, when your high-priced guys don't pan out is this is what you get. You should combine that with the fact that some of these guys that you drafted, like Dayton Jones and and uh, you know Mike Neal a few years ago, they didn't resign. You know the, the corners, uh, Randall Rollins. So you can you combine your high priced players not playing like it, and then your young guys not being good enough, and you get a crummy defense. The end. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. List. All right, Nick Perry, the one guy who earned his money around here, kept it of four point eight seven five million, ranked forty second at the position. He had a great year: twelve and a half sacks, nineteen additional hurries. And his, that was his first four years. This year, comes that kind of one-year deal: eleven sacks and sixteen and a half hurries. So one and a half fewer sacks, two and a half fewer hurries. That was Perry this year combined to his first four years. Broken hand, no problem. He had three sacks in the last two regular season games and, and continued that in the postseason. If you add sacks and hurries together for for uh, Perry, Perry gave you 20 Excuse me, not, um, I'm going to go sacks and quarterback hits from the coaches' count here. 11 sacks, 15 quarterback hits, that's 26. Peppers and Matthews, 
19 and a half for Peppers, 18 for Matthews. So Perry easily beats those guys. And in, in uh, it's not just that. Perry had 60 tackles. That's more than Matthews and Peppers combined. <laughs> he led the unit with eight with uh, 10.05 snaps per tackle, basically half of what Matthews and Peppers did. And in Pro Football Focus's run stat percentage, Nick Perry ranked number one. So he's going to make a lot of money this offseason. And Ted Thompson, who's now has, what, $44 million of salary cap space, I would assume Nick Perry is number one on that list to resign. Of course, there's, this is, again, this is where you get into free agency here. There are some flaws here in, in Perry's game. He's, he's always been hurt at some level. But it's hard to see how this defense can possibly be better if they lose, arguably, their best guy. And I, and I would say that Perry was better than Clinton Dix on a consistency basis and better than Mike Daniels. I would say Nick Perry was their defensive MVP in, in my book. It's hard to see how you are better on defense without your MVP. Speaking of free agency, Peppers is a free agent. Perry's a free agent. Dayton Jones is a free agent. This is the last year of Jones' contract. His 2.455 million ranked 57th. Interesting year for Jones. Jones had one sack. Yeah, one sack. Whoop-de-doo, right? Well, sure. But according to the coaches, he had 16 quarterback hits, and that was number one on the team. So Jones put on a, applied a lot of pressure. He just didn't get home. And then that's kind of been his the story of his career, where he's got nine career sacks. He's just he's not a finisher. He gets there, he gets to the line, doesn't finish. But he's a, he's a, he is a very good run player. Because he's, you know, even, even for losing weight from his botched defensive end days, he's still, you know, 275 or whatever, and he is still one hell of a challenge to move off the ball. So what do you do with him, right? I'm not quite sure. He ranked 12th in pro football Focus's run stop percentage, by the way. Um, no turnover plays. Neither was Perry, for that matter. But... I guess if the price is right, you, you might want to bring him back. He's been a, he's been a tease. I mean, he is a first-round pick. I, I'm not going to say bust, but you know, when, when you're drafted and play defensive end and, and you have to go switch positions because you weren't good enough, I would say you're pretty close to a bust. He, he, he salvaged something outside Lambert. I just don't know if that's enough. And ultimately, I don't know if he wants to come back anyway. He might want to go try playing a, as a 4-3 defensive end and see if that kind of rekindles Rekindles things for him, but it's very odd to have one sack, but a team high number of quarterback hits. So a, a I guess a relatively productive season for Dayton Jones. Kyler Fackrell was their, was their third round pick, and I didn't think he had to play this year a whole lot because they are they were pretty well loaded at outside linebacker when you've got Matthews, Peppers, Perry, and Jones. And sure enough, in 13 games, Fackrell played a little over 12 snaps. I thought he was pretty terrible. I didn't see a whole lot there. Hit a couple sacks. Um, 
two sacks, um, six additional hurries. Um, but you know, he he was a a total non-factor against the run, and he, I thought he'd be. A, I thought this might be end up being a good pick down the road. He's he was drafted at 245 pounds. It'll be interesting to see what he shows up shows up at um, at camp here next summer. Because he's got to get bigger and he's got to get stronger. I mean, also at, at the end of the year, he didn't play. After you know, he played 29 snaps in Week 10 against Tennessee. The last seven games, he was he was inactive for three and played 17 snaps in the other four. He was um, inactive because of a uh, hamstring injury, if I recall. But basically, he didn't play down the stretch. And then Dallas and Atlanta, he played a uh, combined total of zero snaps. So he needs to get bigger and stronger. And he will. I mean, it's the way it is in the NFL. You know, it's, that's why you know, McCarthy preaches it all the time, but you know, so does every other coach. You need to take that big leap year one to year two because year one, I mean, you don't get a break. You play your whole season, and then you go right into scouting combine mode. So you are, it's, it's nothing but 40-yard you know, times and, and stuff like that. This offseason, when do you get to take a break? That's helpful. And B, you get to focus on on getting stronger. So Facker, like all these young guys, has to take advantage of this offseason and, and get there. Because I, I, just, I just didn't think he did very much. He, he had, had, had got a few pressures and stuff. But, boy, you got to play run defense too, and he did not do that. Last, but not least, J. Ron Elliott, who I thought should have played more. I, I thought I thought the coaches played Fackrell too much and Elliott not enough. Now, I understand playing Fackrell a bunch because, after all, he is your third-round pick. And you, you, you might as well play him, A, because you're, you're paying him. But, B, you think enough of him as a third-round pick, any snap he gets now is invaluable going forward. So I, I'm fine with playing him, but I thought, I thought Elliott was the better player. One sack is all he had, but he was a much, much, much more effective run defender. 10.46 snaps per tackle compared to about 17.5 for Fackrell. And he had 3.5 stuffs. That's as many as Matthews and Peppers combined. More than every other outside linebacker other than Perry. And he did that while averaging... Um, about the same number of snaps per game as Fackrell, um, 12.4. So, he also led the team in special teams tackles with 13. He will be a restricted free agent. Um, they will not tender him because that's going to be a one, you know, one, one point eight million dollars, something like that. And Jamie Riley is not worth one point eight million dollars, but I would think they would like to sign him as a free agent afterward. All right, and that will do it for this episode of Lockdown Packers. Thank you as always for listening. Try to enjoy a football-free weekend. I have no idea what I'm going to do with myself without football. I'll write it. I guess I'll write. I'll write about football and do my combine stuff. But anyways, enjoy your weekend. And I look forward to talking to you on Monday.
Is Democracy in Danger or Decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst.